morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good. Good day, man. This is a good day. Yesterday was a good day. Uh, at serve day, they let me drive a tractor. Okay. Well, it was a tiny tractor. But that's who's counting, right? It's awesome. It's a good time for me. So hopefully you, get, you guys get out there and serve today. If you haven't yet, it's going to be a great time. Uh, we're going to um, continue on in our series called Myths We Love to Believe. But I want to pray for us before we jump into Scripture. Okay, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are and what you're doing among us. Thank you that when you sent your son Jesus into this world, you sent him to be just like you and you sent him here to serve. One of the ways that we can be just like you is we get to serve others. And so thank you for that, and uh, thank you for what's going on among the churches in our community, uniting together to be able to serve our community and our neighbors. Those are great gifts, Lord, that we get to enjoy and we get to give to others. So thank you for all of that. Lord, thank you also that you've given us your scripture, your word, and you've revealed your heart to us in this. And so I pray that as we look into your scripture today that you would uh, unlock our eyes to you. Let us know you. Let us know who you are and what you're like and, and the truth about you, Lord, and shape our lives by the things you teach us about yourself. We seek you out through Jesus Christ, our Savior, today. Amen. So we're doing this series called Myths We Love to Believe, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, in the book of Genesis, it says, it says that God created human beings in his own image, but ever since the um, first human beings in the Garden of Eden rejected God and, and said, we don't want you to be our God, we'd like to be God ourselves, ever since that time, we've been recreating God in our image. And human beings throughout history have been shaping God to be like them. And people with certain personalities keep shaping God to be like them or like us. We shape our gods to be like us. And God goes, you know, it really matters that you worship me in spirit and in truth. Because you can't honor a God that you don't know in truth. And so, you know, having some reality, having our, our um, faith based in reality of God matters. Having our worship based in the reality of God matters. Otherwise, we're worshiping a God, worshiping a God who is not real. And so our faith, our worship, our practice of the Christian life all depends on knowing who this God is that we claim to worship. So we're talking about myths that we love to believe. And some of you go, well, I don't love to believe that one. And I'm, I'm not saying it's like, oh, we're passionate about these things. I'm saying they're locked into our culture. The things we're talking about these days are sort of locked into our culture. They're locked into our world's culture. They're locked into popular religion culture. And sometimes they're locked into church culture, and it's hard for us to break out of them, like we love these myths. And so we're spending five weeks together just kind of walking through these myths, sort of doing some myth-busting things and, and trying to get on track with what God says about himself in his word. So let me, uh, last week we did myth one. Today, and if you missed that, go back. It's online. You can go listen to it online if you want. But um, today we're going to myth number two. You may have heard this one. You may have said this one, but here's myth number two. It says, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that one? Yeah. yeah, you ever said that one? Oh, wait, you don't have to, because I'm saying it's a myth. You don't have to acknowledge that fact if you don't want to. It, it has been said that this is the most often quoted Bible verse that's not in the Bible. Like, you're, wait, that's not in the Bible? Because if it's not in the Bible, it should be. You ever have things like that? It's like, that, that's not in the Bible. Well, it should be. 
Well, that's how a lot of people feel about this one. When I was in high school, there was a young man about two years older than I was, and he invited me to start studying the Bible. I've never studied it. I grew up in the church, but I never really read the Bible, had never read the Bible, had never studied the Bible for sure. And this friend said, hey, you, you know, why don't, you, why don't we have a Bible study together? I thought, that's a really great idea. Let's do that. And so this guy was really instrumental in helping me walk forward as a follower of Jesus. And yet at some point in our high school relationship, he quoted this verse to me. God helps those who help themselves. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And I didn't find out until a long time later that it's not even in the Bible. So here's a guy, he helped me a lot, but he got off track on this one concept. Now, this, this little statement, God helps those who help themselves, is often attributed to Benjamin Franklin. He wrote this, uh, this deal called Poor Richard's Almanac for years and published it. And in that almanac, he often quoted this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. So he's often considered the, the um, creator of this concept. And it fits because in America, that's a very, it's, a, it's a very American concept, right? God helps those who help themselves. God helps them who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, get started and God will come alongside. It's like, it's so American. And yet it just doesn't tell the story of the scripture. Actually, the story uh, came, or the, the, the moral, or this little statement was developed hundreds of years before Benjamin Franklin. It goes back all the way back to Aesop's fables. You ever heard of Aesop and his fables? Aesop's fables, there's always a little story, and it ends with a little moral, right? Let me, I want to read for you the entire story where this line originated from. It's found in a little story called Hercules and the Wagoner. All right, let me just read the story, and, uh, and then you'll hear the moral. It goes like this. A wagoner was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire, and the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoner threw down his whip and knelt down and prayed to Hercules the Strong. Oh, Hercules, help me in this my hour of distress, quoth he. I don't know what quoth he means, but I think it means he said that, right? You know how these ancient Greek myths are. So, but Hercules appeared to him and said, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Which, time out from that story. The next time you get in a, a, you know, a hard spot with somebody, just, just roll that one out. Tut, man, don't sprawl there. That'll solve the whole problem, I'm certain. Hercules appeared to him and said, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. And then comes the moral. The gods help them that help themselves. The slogan comes from paganism. The slogan comes from a group of people who worship multiple gods who are all created in their own images. And it's not, it's not hard to understand that this came from a pagan background because this slogan, God helps those who help themselves, reflects all the tenets or the tenets of all the major world religions. Because every major world religion around us, except for one, emphasizes the fact that good works are necessary to earn your salvation. Good works are necessary to earn nirvana. Good works are necessary to get connected to God, to be right with God. You got to do something good. You got to earn it. And so we've got these concepts in our mind where we go, you know, where people will say, well, I'll come to God when I get my life together. Or if I could just be good enough, then God would accept me. 
Or, you know, if, as, long as, my, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad habits, you know, and bad deeds, then maybe I'll be okay. And so it fits into all the way these world religions work. It's like you have to do something yourself to earn it. And once you get going, then God will help you or then God will bless you. It's a phrase that sounds moral. It sounds industrious. It sounds motivating. And it is probably all of those things. And it sounds like it's a mean to salvation. Means to salvation. The only challenge is, it's just not wholly true. We, t- we talked last week about the idea that a myth, most myths are not patently false. I mean, most lies are not completely false because if they're completely false, you just go, oh, that's completely false. But if it's got some truth mixed in with it, then you go, oh, it sounds sort of true. Oh, it sounds sort of Right. And so that's how the ancient myths were. They sounded sort of right. They sounded sort of helpful. They sounded pretty moral. And that's how it is with this myth, myth number two. God helps those who help themselves. It's not not patently false. Because God can help those who help themselves. Can't he? Sure, right? I mean, yeah, you want, you want to do something, you want to get on a good track, you want to start going, and God looks at that and goes, that's awesome. Here, here's some, extra, here's some extra help for you. Here's some extra power, energy, or whatever. It's like, okay, that's cool. God can help those who help themselves. God is not opposed to those who help themselves. God is not opposed to hard work. God is not opposed to self-discipline or any of those things. So it's not like it's patently false. It's just misleading. And when you look through the teachings of the Scripture in the Bible, you'll find out why this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a misleading myth. Let me just walk you through some Scriptures and uh, see if we can understand a little bit more accurately what God says about Himself and how He relates to us. All right, a couple of different Scripture passages I want you either to hear or you can read. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible... And you'd like to follow along with this. Romans chapter 3, you can turn there. We've got some Bibles on the chair near you. If you want to reach over and grab one, that's awesome. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 uh, through verse 18. It's a, it's a compilation of a lot of scriptures from the Old Testament. So the Apostle Paul just takes a bunch of different scriptures from the Old Testament and puts them in this paragraph so we can understand what we're like and what our relationship with God is like. So here's Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Paul says, As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here's the first principle from Scripture that that sheds light on this whole concept of God helps those who help themselves. First principle is this. I will never be good enough to earn God's favor. I can never be good enough to earn God's favor. There's nothing that I can do to make myself so good that God will go, oh, I'm going to help you out then. You've worked hard. You've done a great job. You've, you've made it. Now I'm going to help you. 
The Bible says there's not one righteous, not even one. In fact, Paul finishes up this statement in verse 23 when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And it's not like half the room makes it pretty good and half of the room not so much. All of us, he says, have sinned and fall short of God's glory. I'll never be good enough to earn God's favor on my own. Now, from there, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and let me read another, a few other um, pieces from this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, several pages to the right, if you have an old-fashioned paper Bible. If you've got those new kind that you just scroll down, you know, just scroll for a while, you'll get there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This passage also addresses the myth, God helps those who help themselves. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Let's stop there. We'll come back to that, but let's just stop right there. As for you, you were dead in your uh, transgressions and your sins. The principle there is, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, I'm dead. What the world teaches is, you know, yeah, you might have some problems in your life, but you know, you're all right. You're capable. You're, you're good. You can do it. What the Bible says is, no, you're dead. You, you don't, there's no life in you. You're dead. That's your condition apart from faith in Christ. It's not that you're just sick. It's not that you're just weak. It's not that you might be capable if you just got over some things in your life. He says, you were dead in your sins. That's hard for us to understand because we're, we, we live, we breathe, we engage with other people. But the Bible says from a spiritual perspective, apart from faith in Christ, we're dead. Uh, at Easter, if you were here with us at Easter at our celebration a few weeks ago, you know, we showed the little clip from the Princess Bride, and we talked about the hero was, he, was, um, he wasn't all dead, he was only mostly dead. Right? There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Well, when the Bible says... Apart from faith in Christ, you were dead. He's not saying, the Bible's not saying, you know, you're mostly dead. If you work hard, if you do some good things, if you get started, then you'll be alive. No, he goes, you're dead. You're all dead. And he's really saying, you're all dead, and you're all, all dead. Okay, I think we have children in the room today, right? Uh, we, so we, I think we canceled our like first grade through fifth grade to bring everybody in to watch the baptism and celebrate serve day and all that. So uh, do we have any like fourth or fifth grade boys in the room? Good. Oh, perfect. This is for you guys. All right. This, this little illustration, this is for you guys. Have you ever seen Roadkill? Yeah. No? Never seen Roadkill? You've seen Roadkill? Tell them what it's like later. Okay. Yeah. Not today. Not right now. Most of you have seen Roadkill, right? Yeah, roadkill's amazing. It's really amazing. My, my father-in-law came home one time, years and years ago. He came home one time. He said, yeah, I, 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 hit, a, I hit a cat on the way home. I know, it's like really sad, right? And somebody who was in the house, they, they said, um, well, what did it look like? And he said, it looked like this. <laughs> they said, no, 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 before you hit it. What did it look like before you hit it? And he goes, Gah! like that. That's what you expect when you see an animal on the road. When, it, when a car comes down the road, the animal should go, blah, and get out of the road. That's what you're supposed to do. But roadkill animals never do that. Do you notice that? <laughs> the, remember, this is for fourth and fifth grade boys. The rest of you who are, have more culture, sorry. Come back next week anyway. So an animal that's dead in the road makes no response to outside stimulation. 
because it's dead. It's not mostly dead. It's all dead, and it makes no response to outside stimulation. The Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We make no response to God. We make no response to the, to the things in this world that could draw us to God. We were dead. So God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says, I'm sorry, but you can't do it. You can't help yourself. And that's the next scripture as, as you go down through Ephesians chapter Two, that's the next thing that is mentioned. So let me read starting at verse 4 in Ephesians 2. Paul continues, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The third principle says this, God saves those who cannot save themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And once we get to the place where we go, oh, it's out of God's great love that I'm rescued. It's out of God's rich mercy that I am helped. It's out of God's kindness that I am made alive. Then once God makes me alive, then I can respond to what he does for me. But I can never be the initiator of that. The Bible is very clear. We love God because he first loved us. God initiates and we respond. And there's constantly a calling in our lives from God to say, I want to make you alive. I want you to respond to me by faith. But all of that comes as a gift of God's grace. The truth is, God gives amazing grace. We could never deserve it. Uh, we could never help ourselves to get there. It's a gift of God's grace that he gives to me. It's a gift of God's grace that he gives to you. It's all grace. Salvation comes when we acknowledge that we cannot help ourselves. Which leads to the last thing that Paul talks about in verse 10. He makes this amazing statement. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What happens in most religions of the world is they get this turned around. They go, do good works, and God will bless you. The, the Christian faith, the faith of the, uh, of the Bible, of the New Testament scriptures, turns that around. It says, God blesses you with salvation. He blesses you with grace. Now, go and do works out of gratitude for him, out of thanksgiving for what he has done for you. That's how he turns that around. So this whole serve day thing we're doing this weekend, it's not like, oh, let's get out there because if we do really, really good things, God's going to rescue us and God will save us and then God will help us. We're not doing this to earn God's favor. We're not doing this to earn some heavenly brownie points or something. We're doing this whole serve day weekend out of gratitude to say, Jesus, you've blessed us and we're so grateful to you that you've blessed us. We want to go serve others. So the last principle that you get from these scriptures 
says something like this, God blesses those who bless others. Not God helps those who help themselves. That's me-oriented. The scripture says for those who are Christ followers, for those who have received the gift of life and the gift of grace that God gives to us, it's about others. God blesses those who bless others. God helps those who help others. Not to earn God's favor, but as a response to his favor that he's already given. In a moment, we're going to have some people walk through baptism together. We're going to celebrate this together. It's going to be a big party. You will enjoy it. And uh, the people that are going through baptism today are people who have said, Jesus, I accept your gift of life for me. I understand that I can't earn it. I understand that your salvation is something that you just give freely. But I believe you, and so I've received it. And we're going to celebrate their life, their new life in Christ. And then we're going out as a church and we're going to serve our community and we're just going to say, let's live out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God already prepared in advance for us to do. And so the rest of the morning, the afternoon, whenever you're doing your serve project, rest of the day is just simply, God, thank you for all you've done for us. God can help those who help themselves. But God's MO is he saves those who cannot save themselves and he blesses those who bless others. May that be true of us. Father in heaven, thank you for your great kindness to us, your amazing grace to us. I'm grateful, Lord, that so many people that I know in the room have said yes to you. They said yes to this invitation to trust you and believe you. So thank you for them. I'm grateful, Lord, for the ones who are being baptized and they're acknowledging before all of us, hey, this is my statement of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for them. Bless them and encourage them today. And Lord, there may be some in the room that are just, just beginning to process this whole journey about you and about Jesus and what you've done through Jesus for us. And Lord, maybe some of them are just starting to get a handle on your amazing grace. And maybe you've been inviting some of them to come follow you, to stop trusting themselves, to start trusting you. So for those people that are like that today, would you move them to cross the line of faith today and say, Jesus, I will trust you. I can't do it myself. I've tried, but I will trust you. So Lord, bless them in that way and bless us as we serve others. And by that, we serve you and we honor you today. Thank you for all these things through Jesus. Amen. Amen.